Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cutting Chai Stories, where the writing is not always short and sweet. Unlike the half servings of milky tea we call Cutting Chai back home in India. Today's episode is coming to you very close from home because I am speaking with Shivani Tibriwala, a poet, playwright, and screenwriter from my hometown of Bombay. She is the founder director of No License Yet, which is a theater company that produces socially relevant theater. And she herself has written and directed 12 plays which have been published and performed in India as well as internationally. Also, Shivani just happens to be a good friend and my neighbor from before I moved to New York. So hi, Shivani. It's so good to speak with you. Hi, Jayati. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to be on here today. I have had a lot of different kinds of writers as guests on this show. I've had memoirists and poets and journalists and editors, but this is the first time I'm speaking with a playwright. How does one get started with writing of plays? That's a great question. I honestly don't really know. I think you just kind of plunge in. I think the thing that sets playwriting apart a little bit from the other forms uh, of writing that you mentioned is that it's character driven. You know, you're inside the head of multiple people that you've created and you're speaking as each of them in turn. Basically, it's like writing dialogue. It's like writing a conversation that's happening and the story is unfolding as people are speaking. I think that that's what really makes it interesting and fun and unique. So then let me ask you, how do you come up with your characters? Well... Sometimes the character comes first and then the story. Sometimes the story comes first and then the characters. I've written a play called Help Desk, which is about a bunch of crazy people who reach out and ask for help from this crazy help desk attendant who gives them absurd solutions to their absurd problems. And we have some really, really crazy characters in there, ranging from a radio who wants his antenna amputated to a middle-aged man who wants to send his aging parents to the moon, to a salesperson who wants to sell farts for a living because he just got fired from his desk job. We have quite a range of characters in there. So you can see that the characters are definitely driving that story forward. But then sometimes, you know, I have a story that I want to tell and I have to find the right character to help me move that story along to its natural conclusion. So I wrote a very serious play called The Laboratory, which is a medical thriller about a young girl called Joy, whose uh, mother is used as a guinea pig in a drug trial. Joy's fight for justice against the multinational pharmaceutical companies ends up leading her to eventually lose hope. Well, I'm not going to spoil it because somebody out there might want to read it or watch it. So that's essentially what the story is about. So, um, Joy was the character that I decided to create to help me tell a, a very, very serious bioethical sort of based story by centering it on a very, very young idealistic doctor who sort of helps the audience to empathize with what's going on rather than it becoming a very dry issue based kind of story. You know, that's some, a challenge that we struggle with in journalism. I mean, putting on my editor hat, um, how to make readers empathize with something that can feel very far from their lives especially when you're trying to be socially conscious or you're trying to talk about social justice issues how do you make somebody care about someone else and very often the answer that I found is narrative and character right and yeah yeah, so you don't try and make somebody empathize with a million people you try and make somebody empathize with one or two people right the character gives the audience someone to root for if they identify with the central character It makes it much easier to understand and to empathize and to give a damn about what happens at the end. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. But still, I find that 
I feel like writing a play is still different than like writing prose because I tried my hand once just for fun at writing a scene, just a scene. And I found that I was just so inefficient because I'm so used to having the ability to fill in the details with exposition, you know? So when it was taken away and I had to rely only on dialogue or like mostly on dialogue, I just spent a lot of time having the characters say those things and it felt very forced and unnatural and long. And so how do you, you know, how do you account for that? Like, I think for people who are not used to writing strictly or mostly in dialogue, that that's a big switch. I guess the beautiful thing about writing for theater is you rely so much on subtext and you rely so much on the fact that this will hopefully eventually be staged, right? So a lot of the communication is going to be taken forward by the actor performing the piece. I mean, I know for a fact that as a writer-director, I mean, I've seen actors take or something that I've written, a play that I've written, and completely transform the meaning of the words with the way that they choose to deliver them on stage, surprising even me sometimes, where I'm like, wow, it never occurred to me that that line could mean something so entirely different from what I had earlier intended. And it's actually fun. You know, it's fun to see them play around with the words, with the meanings, with the subtext of things. And and that's the beauty of writing for the stage, I think, because you never know how it's eventually going to turn out. And that's pretty much like life, right? We say something, it sounds a certain way in our head, but sometimes people react to it very differently than what we'd expected would be the actual reaction. That's the magical thing and the distressing thing about communication. It mm-hmm. never goes exactly as you would expect it to go. And that's also the joy of creating lines for the theater and for the stage. That's that's the alchemy, really, that playwriting is. Right. If somebody is getting started or transitioning from writing in another form to to writing plays, how would you counsel them to like introduce the subtext? So one of the things that you're always warned about uh, in theater is don't make the scene a talking head scene, right? Or even when you're writing for the cinema, like it shouldn't just be two people in a room who are just talking mm-hmm. endlessly at each other because that's really dull and boring. There has to be something more happening than just two people talking. So therein lies the subtext, right? So what Hitchcock would do in a situation like that, for example, You take two people sitting at a table and they're talking to each other. The only thing is that there's a bomb under the table. And the audience can see it, but the characters can't. And that bomb becomes the subtext. So as long as there's some undercurrent of conflict in a scene, something that's informing the context of situation at hand, something that perhaps the audience is privy to, but that the characters don't know, for example, that builds tension that builds conflict, that creates excitement, and that makes the audience understand the subtext that is going on under under the superficial layers of conversation that they're hearing, for example. So there could be two people sitting there talking about the weather, but if one of them has actually killed the other one's mother, that's a subtext right there. And you're seeing these two people pretending like everything's okay, and you're wondering what the hell is going on with these two? Why are they discussing the climate? Like, what, what is up with them? The thing is that the story is about so much more than what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And that story becomes, in many ways, the subtext informing the conversation. Ah, that's very enlightening. Um, I love that example of the, you know, of the bomb under the table or the person who killed somebody else's mom. How very violent. <laughs> 
Well, you know, you catch a writer at like quarter to 11 at night, <laughs> the stuff she's going to tell you about. You know, you talked about the medical thriller and um, you, I know you described No License Yet as writing socially relevant theater. What does that mean for you? Is it hard to write in India right now? Has it always been hard? What makes it hard? Can you talk about that aspect of it? I think writers write about things that move them, things that upset them, things that agitate them, things that trouble them, or things that they want to change, maybe. Things that they'd like to see done differently. And sometimes they just write for entertainment also, which is also a lot of fun to do, actually. I've done all of the above that I just mentioned and um, enjoyed each of these various kinds of writing. I think when things start getting rough in one's immediate context, whether it's on a social or a political or a personal level, that's when the best writing actually starts to flow because then you're really channeling it into your work. And as long as there's some sort of balance and it doesn't become a tirade, I think that can be extremely, it can just be extremely cathartic actually to arrive at some sort of epiphany through one's own writing. It's almost like your writing sort of helps you arrive at some conclusion you know, and make some sense of the mess. In answer to your question, is it hard to write in India right now? Well, if one wants to write about things that one wants to write about in India right now, yes, it's extremely hard because we're going through a very challenging situation politically where the current regime does not believe in freedom of speech and expression. But that's what makes it fun. And that's when you encase it in satire. And that's when you go all out and you find metaphors and you say exactly what you need to say, which you find creative ways of saying it. I think that's pretty much the case anywhere in the world. Any of the Iranian cinema even that we watch, I mean, they found ways to say what they needed to say using children as the carriers in their stories. You, you can't make the writers shut up anywhere in the world. Writers will write and you can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter how much power you have. How do you make people stop thinking? Yeah, absolutely. You just actually answered my next question, which was going to be, how do you stop socially conscious theater from seeming preachy or didactic or, you know, too self-important? And I think one great way is to make it absurd and have people in front of it. Yeah, yeah I, I love writing. I love, I love making people laugh. Um, it's my thing. Like, I love doing that. And... If I can get people to laugh and think, then that's just a bonus. We have this little joke inside No License Yet where we say we follow the laugh now, think later approach. And <laughs> the idea is to use satire to sort of, uh, you know, warm people up and then get them at the end to say, aha, okay. And, and then they go home thinking, oh, so that's what that was all about. But, you know, but, but while they're watching the play, we just want them to have a good time. That, that reminds me of like some of Sadat Hassan Manto's work. I don't remember the name of this of his short story, but it was the one where um, there's a man like caught in no man's land between India and Pakistan. Uh, yes, of course. I've seen that. I've seen that one performed. This is a great jumping off point. So you have a standalone monologue to read for us from Avoid the Void. Can you tell us a little bit about it? 
So Avoid the Void is actually, um, it's sort of this monologue by this woman. She's a contemporary urban woman. I am not having a good day. I popped bread in the toaster and the TV short-circuited. Then halfway through my shampoo, the water stopped. I ironed a hole into my favorite shirt and spilled tea on the second most favorite. This is the third one. And it got stuck in the nail on the door, but I think there comes a time when you surrender to Murphy. Then the taxi driver decided I looked like I needed a half an hour detour and suddenly stopped and told me he had to go take a piss and came back with a fish. And of course, when we got here like three hours later, with me holding my nose the entire rest of the way, he didn't have change. Do they ever have change? And I got out to get some from the panwala and the stupid taxi drove off with his smelly fish and with my mobile. To top it all, my boyfriend told me last night that he wants to break up. Break up? What a concept. You spend your waking, eating, sleeping, bathing moments in the arms of a person for days and weeks and months and years and suddenly one day it just stops. You're supposed to wake up alone, eat alone, sleep alone, bathe alone, which is nice actually because you don't have to stand with soap in your eyes while he hogs the shower. But that's not the point. So you're suddenly not supposed to think about him anymore. Poof, he's gone. Just like that. Out of the universe. Or your universe, anyway. How does that work? Is that normal? It seems like there would have to be something physiologically wrong with you for that to work. Some sort of system malfunction. It's a relationship, not a chat room, damn it. You can't just log off. But people do it all the time. It's okay to do anything as long as everyone's doing it. And everyone is doing it. So suddenly it's as alright to be breaking up as to be seeing a shrink. One usually leads to the other anyway. We're amazing creatures, human beings. You know, we can adapt to anything. Amputate an arm or a leg. You'll get used to it after a while. Get a metallic one instead. Remove a breast. You can live with one. And it's always silicon. Get rid of a husband, get a dog and a vibrator. That takes care of most voids. So I know you guys can't see me right now, but I was smiling through most of that. I see, I totally see what you mean about, you know, getting people to laugh first as a way of bringing them in. So can you tell me what you were thinking about when you wrote that monologue? Oh, so that, that wasn't the entire monologue, right? That's just, about, right. that's less than half of it. It's just um, an excerpt. Basically, it's this woman, Sandra, who's at her shrink. She's just come there, as you can see, to discuss this breakup that she's had with her boyfriend the previous night. So we start off with this rant uh, by this woman who's stressed out and, you know, she's going through this sort of emotional roller coaster. And actually, by the end of the monologue, she sort of comes into her own. She realizes that she actually doesn't want to be this sad martyr or, or some sphinx rising from the ashes and she just, you know, at the end, she says, I want to be the queen of the jungle. And she realizes that what she wants is to be very much herself. And she realizes that there's the one thing that she wasn't able to be all this while is exactly that. So the idea was to write a piece about a woman, a contemporary urban woman. We actually presented this monologue uh, as a double bill. You know, there was the Sita Silpankha story at the beginning and then the second part was Avoid the Void. And the idea was to sort of give the audience a look at patriarchy through the ages and to essentially say nothing much has changed. Oh, that's interesting. So the subtext is the two pieces playing off each other almost. Correct. Correct. Yeah. When when I directed this this production, we opened the Leela South Asian Women's Theatre Festival at the NCPA at the Tata Theatre, which had a sort of a swivel stage. So one half of the stage was the Ramayan set. And then the back side, I mean, the, uh, the other side was this contemporary setup of a woman with her, with her shrink. 
Yeah. So we actually had the stage turn around and you actually see like such theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's theater for you. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So it's, it felt almost like there were bits of it that felt almost like by stream of consciousness, you know, where just one thought is going into the other and there's just this flow, just like this river of thought. Yeah. 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 How is the subtext different here than it is from, because this is not, you're not chiming in with a whole bunch of instructions about what people are doing, about bombs sticking under the table. Like this is just one person's voice for a concentrated period of time. So okay. how is that a different skill or is it a different skill than writing what the the banter or the interplay of dialogue so i mean of course subtext can come from the story it can also come from the visuals so um when we had performed this particular piece we had her for the first half at her gynecologist where her gynec was actually inspecting her vagina while this entire monologue was going on and the second half was basically her sitting and talking to her shrink and it's all in the day's work you go to the gynac you go to the shrink you get your body checked your head checked everything checked and by the end of it you're the queen of the jungle so the idea was that no matter how much we think may be wrong with us we're actually just fine <laughs> right so that kind of in in a sense played off the subtext right there so i mean there's, there's different ways to play with it either you know the, the character is busy doing something that is completely unrelated seemingly to the the words coming out of her mouth and then it all ties in at the end or then sometimes you just have an expression that totally belies what you're saying and the audience is thrown off by that where you're not really sure does she mean it does she not mean it is she being sarcastic so there's there's so many ways to play i mean that's that's the fun of writing for the stage because you just really don't know where the words are going to land and so do you write that into the script do you write that she's at her gynax and then she's at her shrink so is that entirely left up to the director of that production um you can suggest it i i like scripts where a lot is left to interpretation unless essential like generally as a playwright i find that i try to keep directions minimal just so that it's just more flexible you know it's it leaves it up to the director to choose unless it's something that's essential to the script I mean, it's, if it's something that, without which the words don't make sense, if it's a if it's an essential stage direction, then I'll put it in there. But if it's just my personal preference, then that would probably be on my copy of my notes for my own production. I would not, as a director, interfere with another director. What, in your opinion, makes for a good play? Has to surprise you, has to engage you, maybe amuse you, maybe exhaust you, maybe entertain you maybe shock you the main thing is that it has to it has to elicit uh, a strong reaction out of you because if you sit there for 60 or 90 minutes and then walk out saying oh well or so what then as a playwright i've failed for me it has to move you it has to move my audience it has to form some sort of a connect an emotional connect an intellectual connect some connect so we've talked some about theater but i would like to switch gears and talk about poetry a little because you're also a poet i remember when we were friends when we were still in school i think in the 10th standard maybe i don't know you had this notebook you would write your poems in blue ball pen and i remember coming over and reading them so i know you've been doing this for a long time but what i didn't know which is super cool is that you were instrumental in launching the slam poetry scene in bombay it's not that i was the first one to do a poetry slam in bombay but i definitely did hold regular poetry slams at the blue at the blue frog 
and we were we were among the first to make them popular in the city now it's of course all over the place now you see slams happening all over the city and all over the country and every cafe and bar that there is which is great i mean i'm i'm so glad that it's really become so popular yeah back then it wasn't really that well heard of like people didn't really know what slam was the first slam that i ever did was actually at this dive uh, the ghetto which of course you know and i remember when i went to the owners and told them that i want to hold a slam there they were kind of like are you crazy <laughs> poetry at the ghetto <laughs> are you out of your mind but they were gracious enough because i'd known them for a very long time to let me do it and it went off really really well it was it, the place was packed and then we took it to the blue frog and uh, mahesh mathai at the blue frog was gracious enough to welcome the event we did it there we had like about seven or eight slams there and uh, Yeah we one of our slams we had 40 poets at the blue frog i used to bring in jazz musicians and have them jam with the poets as well we'd have three rounds of competition interspersed with three rounds of live music and a jam between the poets and musicians at the end we would actually create songs live between the five finalists and the musicians it was fantastic so let me ask you this how does writing slam poetry a poetry that's meant to be performed at this kind of an event different from anything else and is it different yeah 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 i mean writing for the stage versus writing for the page very very different kinds of poetry because one relies a lot more on rhythm and sound than uh, rhyme because there, there is definitely a musicality to slam poetry that poetry for the page may or may not have slam poetry is as much about performance as about content whereas of course poetry for the stage is i mean sorry poetry for the page is just it's meant to be read right so it's uh, the content has to carry it across um, it's not about the, the delivery whereas slam poetry is so uh, there is a performance element and i i guess that's where somewhere theater meets poetry for me so what are you working on now What are you doing more poetry more plays you're doing some I know you're doing moving into film um yeah so i've been writing screenplay for movies and uh, for ott as in like you know writing shows uh, developing shows for netflix and right so by so for ott you just that refers to streaming platforms basically yeah, right 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 shivani as you know i always ask my guests if they can provide a writing prompt for my listeners do you have one for us Since we've all globally gone through like the shittiest year ever, I thought an interesting prompt would be maybe a scene that they could write, which could be their current self having a conversation with their pre-corona self. So like their March 2021 self having a conversation with their March 2020 self. It's a scene of dialogue. maybe the march 2021 self is talking about how things are going to be very different a year from now and the march 2020 self is not quite comprehending <laughs> i sense some satire creeping in there already <laughs> yeah i love that one because you can have so much fun with it i mean can you imagine like that's a subtext right this uh, the current self knows all these things that your previous self has no clue about i mean who ever heard of something like a worldwide lockdown right um yeah you can have a lot of fun and, i mean if they want to make it more challenging i would say avoid using two words covid and virus you have to communicate everything without using the words virus and covid just to make it a little more challenging thank you so much avani for being on this show thank it's you thank wonderful you. to have you here and so much fun and my cheekbones are hurting from laughing <laughs> 
Thank you, Jai. So this is the last episode of season two. I'm taking a brief hiatus before I launch season three. In the meantime, keep in touch. Get on my email list. As always, thank you for tuning in and keep writing. Thank <laughs> you.